0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Open Forum podcast. Today, we have with us a returning guest, Senator Malcolm Roberts. Malcolm Roberts is the Senator for Queensland, uh, Australia. And uh, today, we're going to be talking about climate change, more specifically about climate alarmism. Now, if you guys aren't too familiar with what that is, that's fantastic. That's what we're here to kind of fill you in on, really. And uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to hand the uh, mic over to Malcolm. Now, You're familiar with Malcolm from the last episode we've had, so what I'm going to do straight off the bat is I'm going to ask him to just give us a little explanation as to what the differences are between weather and climate, and then from there, we're going to just dive on in. Malcolm, over to you. Okay,
1: uh, let's give a simple explanation first. Uh, The weather is the state of the atmosphere right now, the weather we're experiencing. Climate is weather averaged out over three decades. I think it it could even be longer than that, but I think that that they've come to an understanding that it's three decades for the purposes of of this climate discussion. So let me just go to the dictionary definition of weather. The state of the atmosphere with respect to wind, temperature, cloudiness, moisture, pressure, snow, precipitation, etc. etc. So the climate though. Is the composite or generally prevailing weather conditions of a region as temperature, air pressure, humidity, precipitation, sunshine throughout the year averaged over a series of years? So as I said, over 30 years, for example.
0: Grant. So that sort of tells us a little bit about what weather is. It's the thing that we experience day to day. And then what the climate is in the sense of it takes a very long time for us to, one, establish what the climate is, and then two, see if there is something in the realms of climate change. And actually, as we spoke about right before we kicked off, the climate does change. And there is an element of climate change throughout the decades, throughout the years, throughout the centuries. Um, Can you maybe talk to us a little bit about that? climate variability and how the climate
1: changing is actually a normal thing. Yes. um, And we have to discuss what is meant by the term change, climate change. So, but you hit the key word variability. Variation exists in everything. I mean, I've got, well, you've got hair on on your head, but it's much shorter than mine. (laughs) You've got a receding hairline. Uh, So have I just here. All right. That's the way we were built. Not everyone's got those features. Your skin is darker than mine. Not everyone's got those features. Um, you know, everyone. I don't know how tall you are, but I, I'm only about uh, one sixty-five centimeters. Maybe even shrinking a bit because of this. <laughs> so uh, you're, you're probably here, much so taller than that. A little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you're way taller than I am. So, but you're still human, and I'm still human, despite our eyes being different colour, our hair lengths being different colour, our heights being different, our skin colours being different. So that's you're human. I'm human. That's the natural variability because your ancestors came from a different place than than mine. Uh, and that's fine. Even, even if you go to a very homogeneous race, like for example, the pygmies or the Zulus or the, or the, um, the Japanese, you'll still find variability. People will be varying heights. There's some very tall Japanese. There's some very short Japanese, right? So but they're still all Japanese. And so you have variation, it exists in everything. Uh, An Olympic swimmer, a champion athlete will swim the 100 meters freestyle in similar time every time he or she swims, but not exactly the same time. There's natural variation. So what I did was draw this up as we discussed beforehand. So here we've got something, for example, it could be temperature, right? It could be temperature in the atmosphere, the maximum temperature, it could be day, a minimum temperature, it could be average temperature for a day, but that's temperature varying every day. Now, all of a sudden we get a sudden spike. That is a change. This is not a change, this is, a, this is natural inherent variation. Everything varies, everything varies. And then we have a, we have a lift, lift in the process and the temperature goes to something higher. That might be rainfall for a year rainfall for a year now nature you're not going to get a sudden jump in 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 in, uh in rainfall or temperature like that but over the years but you'll have a more gradual rise up to that if the climate is changing but the point i'm trying to show is natural variation inherent variation in everything a change in the process there is no evidence that there is a change in the climate at all not in temperature not in rainfall not in snowfall not in um Ocean alkalinity, there is no change whatsoever. We've got this uh, from the the experts. They have analyzed the data. We've also amassed 24,000 data sets through our own researchers. There is no evidence of any change in climate. There is com- continuing, compelling evidence of variability in climate. But when people, you 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 gave them an example. If it's a hot week today or, or this week, or even a hot day, that is not evidence the climate has changed that's evidence of natural variation that's all that is so this might be a hot week cold week hot week cold week yeah there is no evidence of climate change does that answer your question
0: yeah absolutely and i think one of the things to highlight there is that you mentioned that it doesn't stay stable around the same two temperature points for max hot max cold as well and that over time gradually with the natural progression of climate on the planet this may go upwards it may go downwards in fact if we go back to towards the 70s i think it was uh, there was cooling going on the trend at that point in time was that the global temperature on average was cooling and the thought was that if we were going to uh, go into a global ice age. There are news articles that are saying that the UK would have a Siberian temperament uh, climate by the year 2020. Now, uh, if anyone was in the UK last week, as uh, I was, then they would see that actually there was a bit of a heat wave and uh, all the grass had gone a bit brown because there's uh, you know a little bit of lack of precipitation. <laughs> so not quite Siberia yet. But. You know, these things do change. And I think an important thing is, as you've mentioned, there is growing evidence to well, say I don't that think they
1: change, Sonny. They might not change, but they do vary. Yes. It's when you get that step change or the gradual increase, you know, something that's unusual, that's when a change occurs. But there's been no change. There has been continuing variability, yes. Yeah, that continuing variability.
0: But the cycles that we've been looking at are too small in order to see those changes because like we've already established, the climate is established over three decades or more. But if we're looking over it over a period of 10 years, the variability that we're going to see is so huge that all of a sudden it looks like this crazy thing that's occurring. Yet if you look at temperature variabilities at the early 1900s in comparison to now, it doesn't look all that different because it's a cyclic thing that occurs with all this variability. But moving on to that, what about the known effects of humans for this then? Because we are burning greenhouse gases. We are burning fossil fuels. And at the end of the day, climate alarmism where it's being pushed to or, better yet before we go there what is climate alarmism um we've kind of established climate change we've established weather and climate what what is climate alarmism before we start talking about it just so everyone's on the same level on the same page
1: okay before we go into climate alarmism which i'm happy to talk about let's come back to something you mentioned it's fundamental cycles there are so many cycles there's a daily cycle there's a um there's a seasonal cycle which is annual in our case uh on this planet um there are cycles of 11 years on some climate variables there are cycles of 20 years on some climate variables there are cycles of 150 million years on some variables and that's when we go through our our solar system as we revolve around the sun our solar system the whole solar system goes through a different part of the galaxy and we have different amounts of um particles bombarding our solar system from other other uh galactic uh, what do you call it galaxies uh, oh. inter- interstellar bodies and, in, and and you know other other stars and so on radiating and when we go through that those particles hit our hit our solar system they come through our atmosphere and they affect the amount of cloud we get and if we get more cloud then the then the the sun's warmth gets bounced back into the into the uh, back towards the sun, so we are cooler. So there are cycles going from days to weeks to years to decades to millennia to millions of years, and so when you have all of these all coming together, you end up with natural variation. And so um, clearly, when we go through that that uh, that other galaxy or near that other galaxy that is a change in climate and what we'll have is temperatures going down because we have more cloud cover and we'll probably have higher rainfall as well so that's a change in climate so the temperature graph will be going along like that and going go down the rainfall graph might go like that variable and then go increase. so that is a change now climate alarmism um is something that's been fabricated by a man called maurice strong from the United Nations. He was Under Secretary General of the United Nations Environmental Program. He's, he's dead now, he died in 2015, but Maurice Strong was an incredible intellect, but even more so, he was a very powerful networker. He could get people to do almost anything for him and he could work not just individually with one-on-one, but work through groups, very powerful man. And he had two aims in life, he, and he said these aims quite publicly, One was to put in place an unelected socialist global governance. The other one was to return us to to pre-industrial era. In other words, he he said specifically he wants to de-industrialise Western civilization, send us back to the caves. So as part of that objective, he used many different fears to try and move people. And Climate Alarm has has been fabricated. What they do is they take, take the natural variation, and when we have a high temperature... They say, "Oh my goodness, it's hot. The planet is going to cook." It's just natural variability. Hmm. So climate alarmism is a fabricated fear that's been concocted to drive people to control people, so that they will do what the United Nations and and policies are, and what the what the government policies are in Britain with regard to shutting down the use of energy, making sacrifices, not travelling, and so on. So it's really an element of control and all the way through history, Sonny, we've seen examples of people trying to control others using fear. And so always beneath control, there is fear. And so these people um, want to try and control us. And so climate change, what they're doing there, there is no climate change. There's natural climate variability. And what they're using is each of the little spikes, each of the variations, to claim climate alarm and say that it's unusual. But if you're going to talk to farmers who've been, say, in their 70s or 80s, or you're going to talk to a geologist, they know there's nothing happening. We've got the data now, 24,000 data sets, showing the graphs of of all the climate and weather variables. There's no change going on, none at all. And so uh, they're just fabricating the alarm. And and then, you know, what we have, ridiculous uh, scenes out here. Australia is known for having massive floods and droughts. When we have a flood, the news reports it and there's all kinds of catastrophe and words are terrible and scary. And, and then they say, this is the biggest flood for 50 years. Well, what does that tell you? It was bigger 50 years ago. And we know that in our records, the floods were bigger, the droughts were longer, more severe. The temperatures in Australia were warmer in the 1880s and 1890s than today. The heat waves were hotter, warmer, longer and more severe the drought was more severe in in, uh, 120 years ago. In America, there are 35 states that have their hottest temperature records in the 1930s and 1940s. The Dust Bowl, yeah. The 1930s and 1940s were far warmer in America.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's... um, Part of that time was also through the agricultural practices with the Dust Bowl, right, in the 1930s uh, America situation if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, they, they learn from that. And humans are yeah. wonderful because humans actually learn from things like that. And and we recognize that our farming practices cause that. And so we don't have that again. But they had a drought. I remember talking to some Native Americans in Arizona or Utah. I can't remember where it was. They told us about a drought that was a thousand years long. That's climate change. That well is climate change.
0: No, I didn't see
1: that, that one in the that last That was BBC many thousands News of years report. ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you won't see David Attenborough talking about it either because they make too much money out of spreading fear. Yeah. And just
0: coming back to something that you said with regards to the impact of of other celestial bodies on the earth and the impact of clouds and things. If anyone wants to look that up, what Malcolm's talking about, that's actually a method that's used to look at the warming and uh, of the earth as well in terms of the albedo of the earth. And what they do is they measure that uh, to see the reflectivity of the earth. And um, so that's, you know, if you wanted to look that up and see what Malcolm's talking about there by all means. And then another thing that you said was, Using fear to control. And it's one of the easiest ways for governments or authoritative figures to get control of people to implement fear and use that as a weapon. And it's something we've seen over the last couple of years. And it's something that we've seen or that we're actually seeing as well in terms of the climate. Because as you also mentioned in that same sentence, is you have the UK talking about shutting down energy over the winter having blackouts you've got germany in hamburg they have uh, said that they're probably going to have to use warming tents because they're going to have to shut down the heating uh, supply over the winter because they've just not got enough energy and it's just compliance there's no one rioting or protesting at the thought of hey listen we live in the developed western society how are you talking about we're going to run out of energy because you shut down a few plants And actually, Germany, for me, is the worst of it because they have the capacity, and this is something that I want to talk to you about as well, in nuclear power plants, but they shut down 10 odd plants and now have a deficit in power, yet nuclear power is a clean energy, um, but they're not going to restart those nuclear power plants instead another thing that you mentioned they'd rather push people into a feudal style living of having to use these warming tents because energy climate crisis sorry guys what don't don't worry about the nuclear power plants no 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 no. they're they're not here anymore we're shutting those down It, it baffles the mind that this is happening it's happening to us in front of our faces and people just aren't saying boo um but with that said then why is it that people are just accepting it? People are just accepting the thought that the Great Barrier Reef was dying, even though, as you've pointed out a couple of times in Parliament in, in the recent weeks, that actually the Great Barrier Reef is having a resurgence and doing better than it has done.
1: Well, I think it's, it's fairly simple. Um, with humans, the majority of humans overwhelmingly are caring, uh, we have a very strong sense of social cohesion and belonging as a, as a, to our tribe, our family, our nation, which is all healthy. Um, because if we're united, see, we're very, very puny animals. Our ancestors could not have survived against a saber tooth tiger, just could not. Uh, the, the, the strongest man today, let's say Arnold Schwarzenegger, when he was in his prime, he would be nothing against a saber tooth tiger. But together with other humans, even little fellows like me, can kill a saber toothed tiger and protect our families, providing we get together. So belonging is very important. We also have a very strong intellect, um, neocortex that that's unique in the in the animal in the animal species. Uh, we can rationalise things, we can collect data, we can come to logical decisions quite often. But at the base of our of our brain, we have a very primitive form of brain, which is um it's known by various titles, I won't go into it right now but what that caused us to do, we, when, when, we, when we, for example, it might be raining outside, when we look at the rain and we go, oh, that's water falling from the sky if the water, if I go out in there I'll get wet, if I get wet I'll get a cold, I'll be in bed for a few days sick, I better get my raincoat, we don't do that, we just go grab the bloody raincoat and go hmm. right, now so the, the, we, we form patterns of behavior, which are very much ingrained by the time we're six. Maria Montessori is, is the most in, was the most incredible person in terms of understanding human development, and human behavior. Said so the critical years for the formation of both character and intellect are zero to six, birth to six. A lot of our patterns, our view of the world is lo- are locked in at, at that time, by the time we get to six. And we don't develop reasoning skills till six. So what we, what it, what it means is that we have a lot of our reactions, our emotional reactions. You know, if if you see a little kitten on the other side of the street, you don't get worried. But if you saw a lion escape from the zoo, you'd run straight back inside. You don't think. You don't process. That's a big cat. It could eat me. I better get back inside. You just get in the car, get get back inside. That's it. So, fear, fight and uh, fight flight and freeze are ingrained in us from our ancestors because the ancestors who had them best ingrained survived and they passed those down to us. So we have this reaction that sometimes when we're afraid, we just react. And then we come back and think about it later. But we also, how can we say it that we can sometimes regulate that, but it takes us up. Op- it takes us time to regulate it. And the other thing that, uh, the other thing is that we we want to belong. So what you'll find is that they will invoke something that shows you care. For example, if you care about the environment, you will believe this climate lie, but they don't say lie, of course. If you care about granny, you'll get an injection uh, a COVID injection. So what they're trying to do there is invoke our sense of belonging, so they can use that to control. So it's a very complex thing, but what they what they're trying to do is to invoke fear. When we have fear. We stop thinking with our neocortex we stop the rational process we just react and away we go and so en masse if you combine the fact that we care you combine a lie that we're hurting the climate when we're not you combine the fact that it could hurt other people when it won't but it could if the lie is believed then you're you're tugging into all the things that make us very strong care belonging intellect and you're bypassing them and you're just using fear to shut things down. And people go, oh, my good, goodness, we better, we better stop using coal. We better stop driving cars. We better stop, um, you know, it's just insane because when you, when you look at these things, Sonny, there's nothing dirty about a coal-fired power station, a modern coal-fired power station. A coal-fired power station burns hydrocarbons, coal, oil, natural gas. So hydrocarbons contain carbon and hydrogen. When you burn them, you form in oxygen you form carbon dioxide which is plant food and essential for life on this planet and you form h2o which is water vapor essential for life on this planet that's it now the some of the but some of the other some of the other uh, impurities in in coal and oil and natural gas that nature lays down include sulfur nitrous oxides particulates now those those are those are the real pollutants and they're scrubbed out of the power stations these days so coal fired power stations actually produce a very clean form of, of energy and, 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 and so there's nothing wrong with a coal-fired power station but what they do is they'll show you pictures of the old coal-fired power station pr- producing real pollution or they'll show you pictures of the water vapor being produced on a cold day and they'll show it against the sunset so it looks dirty it looks filthy but it's just water vapor. Carbon dioxide itself is colorless, odorless, tasteless it's a natural trace gas there is 0.04% of it in the Earth's atmosphere. 0.04. Um, you're, pro- you're producing a hundred times more carbon dioxide right now in your breath than, a coal fi- than, than, in, than it's in nature. So you're taking in, you're taking in atmosphere. We all are taking in atmosphere at 0.04% carbon dioxide. We're exhaling it at around four to five percent, and the plants are very grateful that you're doing that because they need the carbon dioxide the life cycle the other thing just to dispel this myth about carbon dioxide so it's a very clean odorless tasteless non-toxic gas essential for all life on this planet it's only a trace gas because there's bugger all of it it's 0.04 percent when we have a look even little thing even small concentrations of some toxic toxins can kill us arsenic Cyanide, for example, tiniest bit can kill us. But that's not the case with this because carbon dioxide is not a toxin. And if you want to have a look at the impact of humans on on, on carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, then have a look at the global financial crisis in 2008. That occurred at the end of 2008, you may remember. In 2009, because of the global financial crisis, we had a recession around virtually the whole world, almost the whole world went into, into severe recession. That meant they used less energy. That meant they used less coal. That meant they produced less carbon dioxide from human activity. Yet the level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere continued increasing. And I'll explain why in a minute. Then we had a second experiment in 2020. In 2020, we had a a severe recession, almost a depression around the world because of government COVID restrictions. Not because of COVID, but because of government COVID restrictions. And again, in the recession in 2020, we had a decrease in the use of energy, less industrial activity. That meant less carbon dioxide produced from human activity. And yet the level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere continued increasing. And the reason for that is that human activity produces about 3% of the carbon dioxide produced on earth every year. So nature produces 97%, which is 32 times more Nature also has enormous variation in its production of carbon dioxide. The level of variation in nature's production of carbon dioxide is more than our total production. And then if you look at the oceans, the oceans contain in dissolved form around 50 to 70 times more carbon dioxide in dissolved form than is in the entire atmosphere. Slight changes in temperature of the oceans due to changes in, in the sun, which has natural variation, lead the oceans to either warm or cool. And if they warm, they, they release carbon dioxide. If they cool, they absorb carbon dioxide and they completely overwhelm the human signal. And if you look at the, the, ocean, the carbon dioxide levels on, an ad, on, a, on a daily basis, in the, in, the, in the summer, in your summer, the carbon dioxide levels, because the majority of the oceans are in the Southern Hemisphere, in your summer, you will find carbon dioxide levels going down because our ocean surfaces cool in the south and absorb more carbon dioxide than your oceans liberate. So the carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere reduce. If you look at your southern northern hemisphere winter, our southern hemisphere summer, the surface temperatures increase, so we liberate carbon dioxide. So the temperature, the carbon dioxide levels do this, regardless of what we do. And the overall trend is up, because of some events that happened 1,000 years ago because the oceans are so massive, they cover 71% of the Earth's surface up to 11 kilometres deep. I and mean, that's a lot of water. Yeah. And so we are just puny. And to anyone to think that we can change the climate because of our exhaled air, they're just delusional. And, 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 because and, and the figures just completely disprove it. We can, though, change regional climate if we cut down and deforest an area then we will change the climate in that region. For example, if we build a lot of houses, um, Phoenix is an example of this in America. Phoenix is in a very dry area of Arizona, but because of the the damming of rivers and the the growth in population of Phoenix and the sheer number of swimming pools, Phoenix is now more humid than it used to be. So we can change, change the climate. On a regional or small scale basis over a city. We know that the temperature, and due to the urban heat island effect, because of the reflection of asphalt and concrete and steel and glass, cities have a slightly higher temperature today than they did, than, than small towns did 100 years ago. So, a city anywhere will be warmer. But that's how we can affect the climate. But it's tiny and it's only a very small area. It's not global. We are having no impact on the global climate. It's interesting that, well, first off, it's really
0: important that we do make note of that regional climate uh, that impact that we can have and also that you mentioned the impact that cities have with the asphalt, with all the glass buildings and whatnot. Because actually, <clears throat> it's uh, I can't remember where I read it. I'll have to look this one up. But that was one of the things that was mentioned recently in that the uh, figures... That were given for the global temperature some of the sites that were used because they're located within cities are a couple degrees higher and actually once that was realized and it was corrected for then the impact was found to be a lot lower um but the coming back to what you mentioned about co2 and plant growth many many moons ago you'll probably remember this is we were told that talking or singing to your plants was you know, for some reason making plants grow more. It wasn't actually the act of talking or singing to the plants. It was they were getting high on the supply of the carbon dioxide that we were giving them, that we were breathing out into the plant's face essentially. So it's very, very important that that's also mentioned. And you mentioned the impact of coal uh, power plants and tree growth. Actually, it's noted that Uh, downwind from coal power plants, the uh, foliage there is a lot bigger than it would be in other areas because of that exact thing that increased carbon dioxide, and it cannot be emphasized enough. We need carbon dioxide in order for the planet to breathe. Why? Because it's literal food for the plants and those plants go on to make food for the rest of us. If it wasn't for the trees, if it wasn't for the grass and the greenery getting the CO2 that we're pumping back into the atmosphere because by getting hold of the fossil fuels, we're getting what's essentially captured carbon within the planet, pulling it back out, burning it up, doing whatever we will to it. And like you mentioned with the coal power plants, cleaning up the exhaust outputs so that it's more so just the carbon dioxide and the water vapour that's heading out, we're doing a service to the plants. If you look at plants in the dinosaur age, they were a lot bigger. The trees were a lot bigger, the megafauna, because of the higher amounts of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which has been a lot higher than 0.4% that you've already mentioned, or 0.04% that you've already mentioned. But with that said, Can I just
1: jump in there, please, Sonny? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, While you're correct in saying that we are uh, introducing um, a lot of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere by burning our hydrocarbon fuels, coal, oil, natural gas, whether it be in cars or factories or power stations, um, we don't affect the level. I want to emphasise that. We do not affect the level in the atmosphere because if we shut down all carbon dioxide production from human activity, we would only be cutting the carbon dioxide that's liberated into the atmosphere by about 2%. 2%, that's it, or 3%, 2 or 3%. And all that would happen is that nature would release slightly more carbon dioxide from the oceans to take that up to keep that in its balance. Henry's law tells us that. It's a very important chemistry law that I think was developed in 1903 the partial pressure of a gas above a liquid is is in part due to the temperature and in part due to the concentration of gas in the in the in the liquid in dissolved form so what it means is that if you reduce the partial pressure of carbon dioxide above the oceans because we produce slightly le- we produce less the impact is very very slight and nature would just offset it by releasing more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere that it's it's very simple so so we do not and we cannot affect the level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and as i explained to you we've had two natural experiments in the last 14 years since 2008 which have showed that when we decimate our production of carbon dioxide cut it dramatically it still keeps increasing in the atmosphere so what that means is that we don't have any effect and what it also means is there's no no point in shutting down our industry there's no point in Um, taxing people for it because we can't affect it.
0: Fair. um, Until you mentioned it there, I'd never come across the impact of uh, the financial crisis and also 2020 as well. I find that fascinating that um, Mm. these are things that, again, we don't find on BBC News, unfortunately. But with that said, what is... I think partially this has already been answered, but what's wrong with the noble lie of us trying to get off of fossil fuels if fossil fuels are in in a way a finite resource and they're moving on to renewables? What What is the big problem then with the noble lie that you know, we need to get off it tomorrow because we're going to destroy the planet? Okay, if... You know, there are many thousands of data sets that say we're not necessarily destroying the planet per se uh, but if we can move off the fossil fuels because you know the oil for your car the petrol for your car isn't going to be there forever, let's go onto battery tech or you know hydrogen fuel cell or what have you some kind of renewable energy source, what's the inherent
1: problem there? Sure. well, inherent problem first of all, there are many. the first problem is it's a lie. Lies don't stack up. That, that's totally wrong to mislead people. It's a lie. The second thing is that we didn't run out of stone. The reason we ended the stone age was not because we ran out of stones. The reason we, we ended the copper age was not because we ran out of copper. The reason we ended the iron age was not because we ran out of iron and steel. We ran out of, we, we changed, we, those ages ended because our technology improved. If, and then, then, the, then the third thing is, The the most significant factor in liberating humans, liberating whales, liberating trees, liberating forests, liberating animals, has occurred over the last 170 years since the Industrial Revolution. And that is the relentless decline in prices of real energy until about three decades ago, when it was artificially increased because of UN policies put in place by the Tories, by the Labor Party, by the Greens, by the the Germans, by by the um, Democrats in America, by the Republicans in America, by the Liberals in Australia, by the Labor Party in Australia. We have had a relentless decrease in in costs of energy in real terms. When energy becomes cheaper in real terms, it's used more. When it's used more, it becomes a massive improvement in productivity. When you have a massive improvement in productivity, you have a massive increase in wealth. Now, in the bad old days, before we started burning coal, oil and natural gas, we burnt forests. We cut down trees and we burnt forests for our cooking, for our heating, because humans have a right to be warm. And We learned how to master fire. So I can't blame anyone for cutting down trees to warm themselves if that's all they've got. I can't blame anyone for for killing whales to get whale oil because they wanted lighting because when the sun goes down at night, there's no light unless we have whale oil burning, which means killing whales. So the whales and the forests, the biggest protector of whales and forests in the whole history of humankind has been coal because coal was used to generate warmth, generate electricity for cooking, generate lighting, the other thing about coal is that it's fundamental to making steel. Coal contains carbon, which when you put it in a blast furnace, produces a reduction for the for the iron oxide that we put in as iron ore. It, you get steel out. Now steel is in everything. It's in that microphone you're using. It's in the in in your it's in it's in your house. It's in the the making. I don't know what your materials in your house are made of, but you've got textile curtains by the look of it, white curtains. Yep. They, let's assume they were cotton. Doesn't matter if they're wool, doesn't matter if they're synthetic. All synthetic textiles, most synthetic textiles come from coal or oil. So if you look at the cotton, the cotton was planted with mechanical plant, planters. The cotton was harvested with mechanical harvesters, which are made of steel. The cotton was transported to a, a gin made of steel. The trucks were made of steel, powered by diesel, which is oil. So everywhere we see the benefits of cheap energy producing steel, cheap energy producing electricity. We see the cost of uh, electricity, sorry, the cost of uh, petrol in Australia, at least the cost of petrol in America is cheaper than the cost of bottled water yep. per litre. I mean, it's a phenomenal thing. And, and we're, we have been told that we're going to run out of oil. Well, that's bullshit because eventually we might, but we've got, hundreds of years of coal left in Australia. We've got hundreds of years of coal left in China, in America, in in Russia. We also know that five times, when in 1975, I was studying at university and our professor told us five times since the turn of the century, that South Africa was forecast to run out of gold. At the time in 1975, South Africa had the highest reserves of gold that it ever had because all they were doing was going deeper and further underground to get it. So same with coal, same with oil, same with natural gas. There are far more reserves. We're not going to run out anytime soon. But the other thing, if you go back to us, the Stone Age ending, not because we ran out of stones, but because of technology, we will come up with something else before we run out of coal to replace coal. I don't think it'll be solar and I don't think it'll be wind because they're inherently, they're inherently inefficient and very, very expensive and they will always be that way because of physics. But it's very, very important that we use the cheapest form of energy available, providing it's environmentally responsible, it's safe uh, and healthy. And coal and oil and natural gas are exactly that. And so if we use anything other than the cheapest, we will have Lower standards of living, we'll have less human progress. What's happened in the last three years, Sonny? The last thirty years is that we have artificially increased the cost of coal, oil, and natural gas because of stupid government policies that the UN is pushing on us, thanks to the global bankers that want to control the use of our energy for their own their own vile means, their own vile ends. There's
0: there's a lot to unpack there especially what you say there about the reserves aren't ending anytime soon yet what we're seeing is the price is exponentially going higher to the point where it is becoming difficult for people to live and for people to survive there are many people i know that aren't making it to the end of the month with the salary that they've been making it to the end of the month with money to spare to put in their savings because of the fact that the fuel prices are going up so that not only is their journey to work become more expensive but also their energy bills at home have become more expensive as well because of these increases in prices despite the fact that energy companies are seeming to have record profits now for someone like centrica part of that is admittedly to do with selling off some of their other assets however regardless there is still a lot of profit share that's being taken up by the big energy companies. But with that being said, then, one of the last things you said was once there's a viable alternative where we can have a cheaper energy source, which can continue to create prosperous growth for the majority rather than the few, which is what's happening with coal, oil, and gas to this point, there are a few people massively benefiting while the rest of us Uh, seeing the fuel prices or the energy prices going up to a month's wage at least. Why is something like nuclear not being discussed or used? So far as I can tell, it seems to be a great viable alternative. All the research that I've done digging into it, it seems like a sensible idea, especially with the new reactors and technologies that we have and the fact that what we've seen is we can recycle the used uh nuclear fuel to be put back in and that has now increased the productivity of a nuclear reactor and as technology increases those used fuel cells are going to be reusable again so you've got potentially almost unlimited usage of your fuel rods can you maybe dig into that a little bit
1: yes i can you uh, you're, you're- what you're saying makes perfect sense. The reason is they don't want us to have energy. They don't want us to have cheap energy. They want to increase the price of energy so that we use less of it. That's how they control us. Henry Kissinger, who's a famous, infamous, I I would say infamous globalist, he's still alive. He's nearly 100, I think, years of age. He once said, if you control the energy, if you control the property, if you control the resources, you control the people. Mm. This has never been about climate. It's never been about the environment. It has been about taking money from the, the poor and the middle class and taking it to the, the wealthy and redistributing wealth. And, and Maurice, Maurice Strong said that. His, one of his two aims was to introduce, uh, put in place, an unelected socialist global governor. Socialists transfer money from a target to their, their beneficiaries. That's what they do. This is this is nothing new. We've seen this time and time again. Um, their ultimate goal is to cut use of energy. They don't want you to have cheap energy. They want to make it expensive. We had a prime minister here in this country who actually admitted that, that these things would increase the cost of energy. I mean, and no one actually thought about what she said. Who was so, this? The United Nations has said this, that they want to to reduce the use of energy. Sonny, the most important thing that's happened in the last 170 years has been the relentless decline in energy prices liberating liberating whales liberating animals liberating humans making life easier longer safer more productive you've got more choices you can go to wales for the weekend you can go to paris for the weekend you can do whatever you want you can you can educate yourself better now we can we can buy these things if we want iphones and we've got so many choices all because of human creativity and care thanks to turned into material benefits through cheap efficient environmentally responsible electricity. What they want to do is they want to reverse that. And you said it a little while ago. You used that word feudalism. Hundreds of years ago, people were controlled because of feudal society. The 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 Lord, baron looked after owned all the land, all the resources. He gave each of us a little plot of our ancestors, a plot of dirt to eke out a living. He took most of what we produced, late, left us enough to survive and just eke out a living, and he kept the rest. Then we had the Industrial Revolution, the Scientific Revolution, and we had prosperity flourished, and we had the development of the middle class, and, and, and that middle class wanted freedom, and they got their freedoms, and we got our freedoms. The globalists, they want us put back in our little boxes, back in our places, so that we basically provide for them. They want us to be little cogs in a, in a factory, their factory, and they wanna, they want to control our energy, they want to control our water. They want to control our resources. They want to control how we live. I mean, this is nothing new. This is not not my, me saying this. This is the UN saying this. The World Economic Forum saying this. The World Economic Forum says, what, is, what do they say? You will own nothing and you'll be happy. I mean, this is lunacy, but they're doing it right in front of our eyes. Yep. And so there was a point I was going to mention in there. That's right. It's a deliberate attempt to increase the cost of energy, to decrease the use of energy, our access to energy, so that they control us. Just like they're stealing our property rights, um, just like they're controlling our water, just like they're controlling how we live, the regulations to do with how we live, how we eat, what we eat. They're even going after cutting back our food production, our meat and protein they want to cut. In Australia, we have the world's largest continental shelf fishing zone. We have a tiny population of 25, 26 million. We import, for goodness sake, three quarters of the seafood we eat. We should be be sharing our seafood with the world. But why? Because the United Nations has shut down our coastline. 36% of the world's marine parks are in Australia's coastal zone. 36%, more than one third. And, And that's what they're doing. Where do we import our seafood from? Number one exporter from, for our seafood is China, which has 60 something pop, times the population, tiny coastline. The second major exporter of seafood for, for us is, is Thailand, which has a population three times ours and a tiny, tiny coastline. This makes no sense because it is illogical, because it is a lie. All it is is about control. And the Chinese are saying to the UN, stick your control. We'll export whatever seafood we want. The, Thai, the Thai's are saying the same. We are the dopes in the West, the British, the Europeans, the Canadians, the Americans, the, uh, the New Zealanders, the Australians. We're the ones swallowing this crap and, and stifling our population. Russians, Brazilians are saying go to hell.
0: So the BRICS countries are saying go to hell. I think it's, it's less so the fact that we as the individuals in these uh, nations, Europe, uh north america and uh australia new zealand uh the plebs it's that our leaders the those in power are deciding to go along with it and uh, you see that in in what's happened over the last couple of years you see that it's those particular nations actually that went hard in the paint for any element of control that could be used Canada, Australia, New Zealand, uh, within Europe, Germany, Italy, went hard in the paint on their lockdowns, on their uh, controls with passports. And yet the BRICS countries, yeah, Brazil, yeah, India, uh, China, uh, China not so much, they also went hard in the paint, to be fair. Uh, but Brazil, uh, Russia, India, they, they didn't really follow that pattern. South Africa, they didn't follow that pattern of just doing what they were told. But you say that they're trying to take away our energy now that they I I think it's pretty well established that it's the World Economic Forum and the UN. And actually if anyone wants to back check that, um You can find agreements online between the UN and the World Economic Forum that they're working together towards Agenda 2030. As you mentioned, you will own nothing and you will be happy. That's actually a World Economic Forum slogan for 2030, which just happens to be the UN Agenda 2030, all wrapped up into one nice little bouquet for us. But as you mentioned, they don't want us to have energy. They don't want us to have great usage of energy. But then we have this offer of renewables on the table now you mentioned that renewables as it stands aren't great whether it's wind or solar and i saw a great little meme that was um someone walking past a farm open farmland saying oh god look at all this pollutant horrible stuff and then the next picture was them walking past a solar farm and a wind farm and it's completely ruined the landscape saying oh that's much better that's uh, beautiful non-toxic Stuff, but what is it about the renewable energies that's not so great? Not all it's cracked up to be.
1: Well, for number one, what's, what's not good about uh, solar and wind is that they increase the cost of energy. And I've just, just, we've just explained that um, the humanity and human progress flourishes when you reduce the cost of, of energy. These are reversing that, that trend of human progress. That's the first now, thing. The second thing is
0: that, sorry? How? How is it that solar, when you think I could have a solar panel, how does
1: that increase my energy prices? Because the, the the amount of resources that go into solar and wind is huge. That's the first side of it. So the cost of producing them is enormous. And to give you an example, uh, for, for a unit of energy, a uh, unit of electricity from a coal-fired power station, it takes about 35 tons of steel for the same unit of electricity out of a wind turbine requires 546 tons of steel well wow. if you look at the energy that goes into making a wind turbine it is huge if you look at the carbon dioxide that is produced in over the life cycle of a wind turbine the carbon dioxide, because of the huge consumption of materials in, into a wind turbine, the, they actually save less carbon dioxide than it takes to produce them over the life cycle. They only have a short life, 15 years. Yeah. They so and, and there's nothing wrong with carbon dioxide. Let me make that clear. But they're saying we need to cut back on our carbon dioxide. Wind turbines increase carbon dioxide overall, not save carbon dioxide. So it's a lie they're telling us. Um, So the sheer number of, of resources that goes into producing that electricity. The second thing, the other side of it, is that there's less electricity produced. The energy density of nuclear is huge. The energy density of coal is pretty damn big. Coal and oil and natural gas. The energy density of a wind turbine is trivial. It's trivial. You can't get the energy out of the damn thing. Solar panels, even more the same. Now, wind turbines actually chop up the environment because they, they, they cause, first of all, uh, what is it? Ultrasound, ultrasound um, resonance, which hurts humans and hurts animals. They chop up birds. Yeah. They only last 15 years. Then you've got to dispose of them. They're not, they're not recyclable. This is an enormous waste of, of resources on our planet. Then, because the wind doesn't blow all the time, You need to to get a certain amount of energy out you need to have a huge number of of wind turbines because they're not blowing all the time then you need to add batteries and batteries are a huge consumer of resources even more so than wind so the cost now is ballooning out the cost of wind turbines if you can get the electricity out of the wind turbines it can be made roughly one-on-one same with the coal-fired power station similar cost but by the time you have to increase the number of wind turbines out to account for the fact that you don't get the wind blowing all the time. It's about two to three times the cost of coal fired power station or nuclear. And then when you include the batteries, you're in pixie land. And so if you then look at solar panels, they're exactly the same. They're not disposable. They're not renewable, not recyclable. They have a very short life, 10 to 15 years A power station and the coal fired power station, 50 years, nuclear power station longer. I mean, it is absurd what we're doing the costs are inherently high in, in, inherently high because of the huge number of materials going into them the energy density coming out of a solar panel is trivially low it'll never ever make sense um, if you look then at the the, the uh, recycling the environmental costs when we build when we when we mine coal in Australia if we if we disturb the land we have to put a bond in for, for disturbing that land and then when we finish mining, we have to reclaim it to get that bond back, okay? A mining company has to get that bond back. There's no bond for solar and wind, none at all. You can destroy the environment, level good farming land, just, just, um, what is it, uh, new, new to good farming land. You can de- destroy the, the, uh, the trees, the forest. You don't pay a bond. And at the end, who's going to dispose of them? No one. They're going to be ghastly, ghastly intrusions on our environment for decades. I-
0: the other thing that people don't seem to talk about is the fact that to produce your solar panels and your batteries, because like you mentioned, anyone using the renewables for a long-term source of power will need the batteries, is the conflict minerals. So if you're doing this out of some altruistic nature for the earth and for people, actually your use of conflict minerals is just making things a hell of a lot worse. Um, But then <laughs> I, I'm... I'm also cognizant that we're a little bit short of of, uh, time now. Um, One thing that we haven't really touched on, um, which is integral to all this as it pertains to the bigger picture of the World Economic Forum and the UN, is that usage of land that you mentioned there right at the end. So one thing that we're seeing here in the Netherlands, something that we saw happening in Sri Lanka, and we've now seen the end results of that, about three weeks ago um is that the un uh has these uh, esg scores that are being used uh on different countries and one of the things that's being done is the nitrogen usage within fertilizers and having that being limited and also limiting uh the usage of uh what farmers can do with their own farmland how much cattle they can have all these sorts of things how does this play into climate change? Um, and where does this play into that usage of
1: land? Well, you, you've just belled the cat. Um, they, they're wanting to control the right, our rights to use land. When we buy land, we don't buy the dirt. We buy the right to use that land for whatever purpose we want when they put constraints on that purpose, that constrains our rights to use the land. They're constraining our rights to use the land we own. They're constraining our rights to use our property. They're stealing our property rights. That is it, full stop. And and it's well known, the communists have said this for a long time. If you want to get control of a population, you steal their rights to use their land. You remove their religion. You destroy the family. And then when people uh, don't have a family to turn to, they turn to the government. And in the case of the UN, they want the government to be an unelected socialist global governance. Same with the World Economic Forum. You will own nothing and you will be happy. We will take care of you. Bullshit. It's complete fabrication. But it's just to get control. Because the people that control who want to seek that control are the same people that control the globalist corporations that are owned by the same families, the Blackrocks, the Vanguards, there's another major company too, I've forgotten. Um, they own just about everything around the world as it is. And they're controlled by a handful of families. They own the United States Federal Reserve Bank. It's not, it's not a government entity, it's a privately owned bank. Mm-hmm. Um, they manipulate the money supply around the world. They are, they are controlling everything. Um, so what was the other part of, that's right, land rights. Uh, so they're controlling our energy they want to control their energy and they Farm want to lands. control things and give them farmland. Thank you. Um, they've been doing it here in this country um, for some time. They're making up the myth that cattle farting and cattle burping will destroy our climate because it's a carbon dioxide coming out of both ends of the animal. It's again, it's rubbish. The impact of human carbon dioxide on the planet is negligible. But what they want to do is get control of our food production. They want to stop us eating protein. I told you about what they're doing with their fish in this country and the and Western country is similar. They're wanting to stop us eating beef, lamb and pigs. They're wanting to stop that. They're wanting to put in place uh, the eating of bugs. I mean, this, is, this sounds fanciful, but we've seen it in their own words. We've seen it in their own policies. The, the, Bill Gates is, is notorious for what he's done around the world with killing people with the COVID vaccines, COVID injections, the biggest landholder in the United States. They're wanting to put in place the factories producing bugs. Why? Because they're not as weather dependent. And that, by the way, is something else to think about. Solar and wind depend upon the weather. Here they are telling us the weather's going to hell. They want to make our our production of energy more dependent on the weather, which is just nonsensical. But they're they're wanting to take The production of food away from farmers, which does depend upon the weather to some extent, much, much less because of our technology than it used to be, but still does depend on that. They're wanting to take that away. They're wanting to take away the distributed production of food in many individual farmers and put it in massive corporations so that what you eat will depend upon how you behave. In other words, they will put in place an unelected socialist global governance. They're already talking about putting in place an electro, um, digi- electronic digital currency globally. Yeah. Then what they'll do is get rid of cash. This is, this is their plan. They're, they've told us this. This is not me making it up. Yeah. This is their plan. When they get rid of cash, you'll have no alternative. Then they'll control their digital currency. And, and Sonny, if you own a four-wheel drive, you won't get a loan for, for a house. If you want to land for a house, you'll have to stop saying what you're doing. You'll have to stop these independent podcasts. We just can't accept it anymore. And so what they're wanting to do is to control us in everything we do, everything we say, every action, including our food, and they want to put us on a social credit system so that if you want to eat, you will comply. And complying means working your guts out just like back in feudalism so that you eke a, a tiny, tiny benefit from, from your work and they get all the proceeds. They're wanting us back in slavery back in feudalism that's their goal
0: yeah earning a meager living and i think you know what you've said there with the central bank digital currency with the digital IDs with the social credit scoring system it it's all there for people to read within the UN's papers within the World Economic Forum's papers um, but I think that's probably as good as any point for us to to wrap things up on that they are trying to go for the food supply they are trying to go for our land they're trying to go for the energy um, but malcolm any last little bits you want to leave the listeners with before we wrap this up
1: i, I think yes thank you uh first of all i want to thank you for for having me on um, we can't trust the media the same globalist predators who own vanguard uh, blackrock own the media they're only telling us their, side, their story. So it's very, very important what you're doing. The second thing is, and the last thing I'd say is that for those who find this incredible, if you, if you had told me this before I started researching 12 years ago, I would have laughed at you. I would have thought you're a lunatic. But I found it in my own research. I found it in the Senate, it's happening in our country. I've watched it happening in Britain. I've watched it happening in America the same forces are going around the world. If you don't think that there are people who want to control you, have a look at history. Have a look at the Adolf Hitlers, the Genghis Khan's, the Alexander the Greats, the Stalins, the, 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 um, the uh, Lenins. And you'll find people within the church system who want to control. That's what the church was so big on. It was about con- some of the churches, so big on control. You find it in politics. You'll find it in football clubs, you'll find it in sporting clubs, you'll find it in social clubs. A few people want to control. And what we've got now is a massive opportunity to control. And I'll leave you with this. Harry F. Truman, the president of the United States president said he was the most well-read president ever. Most American presidents aren't that well-read because their country is so powerful they don't need to worry about overseas uh, when they're growing up. Harry F. Truman said, the only thing new in the world is the history you have not read. The only thing new in the world is a history you've not read. In other words, it's all happened before. What we are seeing has happened before. Attempts at global scale have never come off, but this, this is now they've got the technology to try and do it. The biggest thing we need to do is wake up. We just need to wake up. We need to stop voting for the tired old parties. The Tories, the Labor Party need to tie, vote for fresh parties, independence, get independents into parliament, minor parties into parliament who will speak for you because these, these people, the World Economic Forum is bragging that it controls many people in many parliaments around the world. Britain, you've yep. got graduates. Boris Johnson's a bloody graduate from the World Economic Forum New Leaders Program. Yep. And, and, and and the the social credit system, the digital platform come from the, the World Economic Forum. That's how they're putting in, these in place. The climate climate alarm, the climate fake climate alarm, that's coming from the UN. They're just vehicles. The UN was formed to be a vehicle for the globalist predators. That is quite clear. So what we've got to do is wake people up, share the words, keep broadcasting, doing what you're doing, and vote for people who are out of the in tiny in small parties so that we get a fresh voice in parliament and we get parliaments and congresses responding to the people
0: beautifully said now really appreciate those words um it's a lot of food for thought and i think it's true in that the independents work way more for the individuals rights than the larger parties as for them, they're already well established in the larger parties. They don't need to work hard to gain anyone's trust because they're Labour or they're Tory. Um, but Malcolm, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time, and uh, hopefully, we'll get to speak to you again soon. Thanks.
1: Thank you very much, Sunny. I appreciate the way you do your research. It really is so just dis- so respectful for other people. Thank you.